Welcome to Kurt Vonnegut's the podcast dedicated to the life and works and ongoing things of Kurt Vonnegut because he's the greatest author of all time. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Michael Swaim. Who boy, hey. gearing up for some segments. You oh, ready? Yeah. We're gonna have dozens of segments today. So this segments is... to your left, segments to your right. <laughs> <laughs> this is a mini episode where we interview someone. Oh, there's just one segment. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we are very excited today that we got to sit down and talk with Mark Leeds. He's the author of the Vonnegut Encyclopedia. He is a character in Timequake, and he was a friend of Kurt's and uh, just someone who probably knows more about Vonnegut than almost anyone. Yeah, think about that. Any podcast could be like, we're interviewing someone who knew them in life, or we're interviewing someone who wrote this massive dissertation about them. We're interviewing a character from one of the novels. (laughs) Mark Leeds is in Kurt Vonnegut's books. Yeah. Like, he exists in this fictional universe. He made it in. (laughs) We're interviewing all three at once, and that, that is Mark Leeds. Yeah, and we got the chance to talk to him, thrilled about it. We figured, hey, let's do this in between our ongoing reading of all the work. Mm-hmm. Also, if you're listening to this, when it came out, our next episode coming up is about Kurt Vonnegut's plays. It's primarily about Happy Birthday, Wanda June, and also about a short play called Fortitude that's collected in the collection Wampeter's Foma and Grand Falloons, and then also a very short play called The Very First Christmas Morning which was published in Better Homes and Gardens in the 60s. Uh, We have a link to a PDF of that on our Facebook page if you want to find that, because I don't know how you'll find the You don't have the back issue of Better Homes 62 hanging out in your rec room? I only got cutting-edge homes (laughs) and gardens. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I only do homes and gardens of the future. Nice. But so that's our next episode, and then the episode after that will be about the novel Breakfast of Champions. So that's another milestone, yeah. Immediate future, and that's a a landmark, Kurt, if you have. But if you've been uh, if you've been picking and choosing because uh, you're busy, I will say Wanda June is I think an underrated gem. There's really a lot to talk about. It's a quick read. It's a play, so it reads short. Yeah, it does. and uh, it's real, real good. <laughs> and it, and it's an opportunity to. There aren't a lot of authors of novels where it's like, oh, also go read their thing in a whole different format. You know, yeah, it's just it's a just neat interesting to see too. it adapt his style adapted to the stage by him because you know. Right. They were his choices. Although it's yeah. funny, and I will talk about it. In the intro, he basically says, none of these were my choices. I was insecure <laughs> about writing a play, so I did anything anyone suggested. Right. The They're actors like, saved it. Yeah. Maybe you should shoot himself at the end instead. Okay. Whatever you want. <laughs> I believe he says, if someone told me the play would be better if you painted your feet blue, I'd be like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it is. Which is great. <laughs> You but can tell we're good. excited about it. it. You should good. check it out. So those are our next book episodes. But here we go, I think, into this mini-sode where we get to interview Mark Leeds in a segment we'll call The Interview with Mark Leeds. What an honor. That was a shitty Zoidberg. <laughs> we are on the line with Mark Leeds, the writer of the Vonnegut Encyclopedia and a character in Timequake. And so glad to talk to him. Thank you for joining us, Mark. Thanks very much. I smile when you mention time quick like that. If people at home don't know, there's... Uh, Let's get the plug out of the way right yeah, at the top, because this thing's amazing. It's great. It's called the Vonnegut Encyclopedia. A revised edition came out, I believe, last year, 2016. And it's been, obviously, a hugely helpful reference work for us. But also, just if you're a fan of Vonnegut, I think it's a fascinating thing. It's just you get to see all those universe interconnections I, all at once. I think it might... It's probably the ultimate thing 
as yeah. far as companions to Vonnegut's work goes. We talked a few episodes ago about a, a book that collected his art and doodles that was pretty neat. Yeah. But I definitely consider the Vonnegut Encyclopedia the ultimate like extended universe thing. Anyone who likes the podcast... I'm not being paid to say this. Like, you can just flip through it, and it's just infinitely delightful. There's all kinds of additional information about Kurt's life. And, of course, everything's just so tied together that it's great at pulling all those threads you may not have forgotten if you didn't read the books close enough together. You're like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, he was in six other books, <laughs> that character. <laughs> but that's exactly why I sort of put it together. I was When I first started writing my dissertation, which had to do with the arc of the novels, I was keeping reading notes on certain things. And I realized when I'm done with this whole thing, I should do what Michael and Molly Hardwick did for Dickens. Cause I, I was a Dickensian when I was a master's student and um, they wrote the Dickens encyclopedia. And in the yeah. style of a true encyclopedia, I think the Vonnegut encyclopedia, like each entry is kind of like a little article about that thing in the way that you can flip through. I mean, as a kid, I love just randomly flipping through the encyclopedia and reading about an animal I'd never encountered. Yeah, And this yeah. definitely has <laughs> gives you that experience of like, oh, you can just randomly open it up, as I'll do now, and be like, all right, Robert Kennedy. <laughs> every, <laughs> every appearance of Robert Kennedy in Vonnegut's works and what, like, what he felt about Robert Kennedy as evidence yeah. through his writing, it's just really neat. And he even pulls out some of the best lines about him and jokes, and it's great. Yeah. The first edition of this encyclopedia came out in 1995. And then uh, did you start working on it in the late 80s? Is that right? Well, I had started working on my dissertation, and I started keeping character notes and what I thought were possible entries on Rolodex, uh, because at the time I didn't have access to a computer, otherwise I would have created a database. So I just kept it, and the Rolodexes you know, grew in size, I have five of them that I still carry from those days. And, you know, I just kept stuff, knowing that at some point in the future I wanted to use it. So I guess it goes back to about 84, which was when I first started working on the dissertation. And you also, as I understand, uh, met Kurt Vonnegut. I, had you met him before or after you, you started doing a dissertation? Oh, after. I mean, I first contacted Kurt in December of 87, once I received my bound copy of the dissertation, it blew me away, just the letter, because I, I wrote to him and I said, I have this idea for a book. I obviously want to quote extensively from your work, so I know I'll need your permission. Can I get it? And he wrote back in less than a week, but he was that kind of correspondent. Usually wow. you got an answer within a week from his letters if, if you were corresponding with him. I wait longer than a week for emails to come back from people. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, but that, you know, that first letter was a shock just to get it, and then uh, like, just to see his handwriting on the outside of it. Right. When I opened it up, he said, I don't know why anybody would want to spend that much time on my work, but if you're so inclined, so be it. So, you know, I was blessed from the beginning of it. I was just lucky. Yeah, you got a lot of support right out of the gate. That's awesome. I feel like if he had somehow been able to hear this podcast, then he most likely would have said, I don't know why, you, I don't know why you're making that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one reason comedians really uh, respond to him. He has a great self-effacing <laughs> attitude. Yeah. You yeah. know, that funny humility. Yeah, and his self-effacement leaves you with that truthful, huh? <laughs> yeah. you know, at the end of it, you sort of want to go on and, wait a second, I agree with this. 
I'm not quite sure why, but it makes sense to me. The counterpoint to the barbaric yap, I believe, is the truthful, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I always harken back to the cuckoo clock in hell because, you know, things make a whole lot of sense when you're reading him. He gets to a spot and it makes your own brain whir ahead and just wonder where does he come out with this. It does. And there's certain people like that. Uh, for me, George Carlin was like that. But there's people who dispense so much wisdom that you, uh, or at least I do, you sort of become obsessed with like, I need to know what they really felt because they're right about almost everything. Yeah. So like, uh, it's interesting. We've covered, uh, and I would love if you could speak to this, Mark, even just your own interpretation would be interesting. But for example, one of the big sticking points to me is the concept of reaching equality in life through handicapping people. And as I'm sure oh, you yeah. know, it pops up in a bunch of, <laughs> in several different forms in different books. I listened to your Harrison Bridge one piece. Okay, I oh, want to know. Did Kurt think that would be a good idea, or was it a satire <laughs> of what he thought was a dumb idea? Oh, <laughs> uh, now I've become a secondhand source. Right, right. I'm like, speak for him, please. <laughs> and it's interesting because I've I've taught the story a number of times, and I'm surprised at how students over, let's say, 25 years have taken the story. I don't think he was suggesting that if we keep going this way, um, we're going to get into this ridiculous handicapping of people as a way of making everybody equal. I think he's, he's just satirizing that whole concept, where it could go. And I get that. What I guess throws a monkey wrench in it for me is then when you go back and think about Sirens of Titan, <laughs> the religion is based around the concept of handicapping, and we're led to believe at the beginning of the book that that religion leads to a golden age for humanity where everyone's very in touch with their spirituality. So it's just, it's interesting to me that sometimes it's presented as a positive, or I guess only in Sirens really is my standout example. But obviously the Church of God, the Utterly Indifferent, is all about handicapping, and it's not presented as obviously negatively as in Harrison Bergeron. You know, it's interesting because I think it's dangerous if you want to grasp the values of one foundation in one book or story and extend it out to another. By your own example, and of course, you know, you, as I say, you can look it up, Diana Moon Glampers in two different stories. How do we, or are we supposed to? coalesce those into one individual. I think that the answer is we're not supposed to coalesce those things. We're not supposed to equate the way he's creating satire and ending up in one avenue through Harrison and ending up through another on Titan. I think that both are theoretical possibilities. I think it's almost as if, you know, you sat in a room with a group of comedy writers and you said, what would happen if, and you come up with a satire about, there'd probably be as many dimensions of telling a story as there are writers in that room. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and they're all valid. They're all, they all are good satirical pieces, but we can only put on one this week. Right, yeah. Which one's it going to be? <laughs> Not at the Kronos and Classic Infundibulum, then we can do them all. Right. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I am someone who, unfortunately, still, I demand way too much consistency from the universe. You can see them all, but in the end, they're all like pearls on a string. They do exist individually as well, and you can't take that away. You, it's just because he reuses something doesn't mean that 
curtain tends to adapt all of one thing and throw it into another. Well, that's, that makes it tough for me because I'm trying to found a Scientology-style religion off of all these interconnected universes. <laughs> and then, no, that's a great point. I, lo- yeah. I like that, yeah. yeah. I, as I said, I, I look for consistency from my idols because I'm like, I want them to tell me how to live my life. What do you do with the fact that Kilgore Tread is two different death dates? Exactly, right. yeah. That's how, yeah, you have to give people the license to evolve and change themselves throughout their life. And yeah. I guess I can't just do everything Kurt Vonnegut says and be fine. <laughs> well, you have to realize that later in life, as he wrote about those things, it's not that he dismissed those earlier things. He just simply concentrated on other aspects of those things. Sure. And mm. I feel like if anyone could ever hold many conflicting thoughts at once, he certainly was capable of that, too. You know, I think that the search for an internal consistency is difficult. That's a very generous way of putting it. And I think that one is put to do that with somebody like Kurt because obviously names appear. You were talking, I was listening to a podcast, you were talking about the Rumfords. And yeah, there's a million of them. But are they always the same? No. Even when they reappear, they're not the same. Some characters are. But... You know, you've got to actually sit down and say, okay, you know, just because a Rumford is this way in this one, how do you explain that? It's like explaining <laughs> the difference, even in one war, between Lister Ames Rosewater and his son Elliot. You'd think that there'd be something in the son from the father, but there doesn't appear to be any. That's hmm. true. Sometimes you wonder where Elliot even came from in that book, or like if he was adopted. Or swapped at birth. <laughs> I definitely right, got that yeah. sense, yeah. Like how they could have been the well, same family. Well, you can't discount his own war experiences. Of course. And right. his own matricide, you know, his own commission of matricide, you know, by swinging the boom over. And the uh, natural inclination, I think, to not want to be the negative things you see in your parents. So, you know, yeah. there could he could have been exactly. intentionally fleeing exactly. what Lister is, yeah. You say, I'll never do that when I'm a parent. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, that's why that's one of my favorite books, though, especially is the scene where you get to hear Lister out. And yes, he's like kind of a uh, lax empathy, but he also has some good points. I like Vonnegut. Yeah. Vonnegut's very able to see multiple sides of a complex situation, which always comes off to me as someone that's someone you want to listen to because that's someone who's not trying to propagandize at you. They're trying to figure this all out. Mark, you, uh, you mentioned kind of getting to know people's reactions to Kurt's work and, and maybe even over time, I'd, I'd imagine you have some sense of sort of the community of Vonnegut fans, or at least at least over time, who's been interested in your classes about it or interested in your work with it. I'm just curious what kind of sense you get of who out there is reading Kurt. Like, is it everyone? Is it just young people? I don't, I'm just curious uh, who else is out there in general. Like, I feel like we've gotten to meet a lot of them online through doing this show, but I'm, all, I'm just generally interested in what the, the community is like. As of a year ago, I know, I was told by reliable sources, as they say, Vonnegut was responsible for a quarter million sales around the globe each year. Wow. Today. He's, in, he's in many languages. That's great. You know, 2017 is the unfortunate but 10th year commemoration of his passing. Sure. Right. And... It's also the year of Vonnegut in Indianapolis, where the uh, Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library is. Friends of the and show, it's, great place. Uh, among the board there, as a founding member. So it's a big year for Vonnegut that way. 
uh, in a few years will come up to his centennial of his birth in five years. So I think that, especially as one looks up at how screwed up the world is today, whatever he said in A Man Without a Country concerning Bush and the Bush family, I think Trump would absolutely put him in his grave. Boy, howdy. Yeah, I was yeah. like, he ain't seen nothing yet. Well, and that, that's been an interesting thing, too, where a few of these books we've done, like when we were coming up to Mother Night, people were like, oh, here we go. It's going to be all Trumpy. Oh, well, also people are like, someone... it's amazing how it's still relevant. And you're like, it's not amazing. It's sad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I always point people, you know, when they say, well, you know, how is Bob Vonnegut relevant now? How okay. is he not? Trump, right. Read Jailbird. Every episode we do, I think, several people comment, I'm so glad you got to this one because it's like, this is happening right now. Yeah. And you're like, you said that about the last one, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's why any one academic reading of any one book doesn't work. Because right. what you really should do is apply the type of thinking that he does to a problem. You could figure out a Vinegutian attitude or a pathway about something, a pathway to understanding, but as he applies his logic to the various, you know, political instances from the 40s through the aughts, you have to realize that everything we're currently dealing with now, which is the product of all of those political alliances, social alliances, financial alliances, everybody thinks Trump's in control. Uh, well, I just want to remind you of the scene in Jailbird when <laughs> Walter Starbuck is given a limousine that has, you know, a toddler's toy driver's uh, steering wheel mm -hmm. attached to the back of a headrest. And that's so the boy could feel like he's in charge, like he's actually steering the car. He's not in charge. He's not <laughs> steering the car. He has no idea who's steering the car. And that's yeah. vast historical forces dictating your life for you. <laughs> that's that analogy. <laughs> yeah. It's Maggie Simpson in the, in the intro to the just oh, yeah, pulling on the plastic too. steering yeah. wheel. Yeah. Yours is more of a literal analogy, but... <laughs> well, I love the cartoon of uh, Lisa Simpson, you know, and, and Bart's holding all of Kurt's books, and she said, he says, why do I have to carry you all of Kurt's books? Yeah. They self-reference each they other, self yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't say the start of a Simpsons quote or in this room without someone yelling over <laughs> you the ending. There may be a reference to something else that works consistently, such as certain concepts of the Tralfamadorians. Right. Kurt, obviously, I think, believed that there really was something to the idea that time either really could be an illusion, or at least there are other ways to think about time that are helpful, because that's... Yeah. Yeah. I think at the very least that you can adjust your philosophy about it in a way that will be the least painful and the most... Uh, or he was just positive. interested in what are the different relationships you can have with time and the way you perceive time, yeah. Well, I would say that on the one hand... You're going to live as long as those who ever knew you will ever remember you. And you can look at it another way. Go back to Mother Night, Tiglath Pileser III, where they're digging up like a 1,200-year-old Assyrian massacre. And the guy's remembered for massacring, let's say, 10,000 Jews. But the Jews got back by murdering 40,000 inhabitants, let's say, 100 years later. But the kid, the Jewish archaeologist, and I'm Jewish, He's only interested in the non-Jew who committed mass murder, not the Jews who did commit mass murder later on. And what's the difference? Well, about five inches of dirt, you know, about 12 feet down. 
Right. Yeah. Because that's, you know, basically, you just add up the years. That's where we are. We're just dust. And let's not start throwing around who massacred who, because, man, everyone <laughs> loses that game. <laughs> I don't think there's anyone. I, is, I wonder if there is any culture on Earth that can claim, like, we've just been chilling out. We didn't do anything. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we all have some blood on our hands, for sure. Yeah. We all have blood on our hands. There's no question. You know, my grandparents on both sides, they were all immigrants in the early 20th century. God only knows what they had to do. Yeah, and I don't even know if liability should be the focus as much as just like, I agree with you. Too many yeah. people worry about liability <laughs> when what you should just do is look at your present circumstances, apply some thinking, and decide what to do next. I think that's all we can do. Yeah, it's almost a, a So It Goes or a Yeah, who did TV we end up, Oh, we or, ended up on So It Goes. You know. That's great. <laughs> We're great interviewers. Yeah, I, I think there, there is an aspect of this shit happened, you know, and we're just going to have to go on. At the end of time point, you have uh, Rabbo wake up everybody and say, you were ill, but now you're well, and there's work to do. There's always something else to get done. Can't wait to get there. It's going to take us a while to get to that one, but <laughs> yeah. we can do it. It'll be a good episode. <laughs> I mean, if you're a Trail Famadorian, we've already done it and always have done it. So yeah, hope it doesn't even it. matter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was such an excellent episode. <laughs> yeah. I hope people get to hear it for the first time. I hope when they choose to experience that moment in time, it's enjoyable for them. <laughs> 